Turn in your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes, if you would. It's right after the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes. And could I say that the beginning of this year may have been one of the oddest beginnings of any calendar year that I can remember? I mean, it's just strange. I mean, between the political, I mean, between a, a, an impeachment proceedings in this country and, and then the, the shaking in the nations, it's been a, been a strange time. And now we've got, we've got all of the fear over the coronavirus. And I noticed us shaking hands this morning, and you're not supposed to do that anymore, okay? It's hand washing. That's what they told us now, okay? But the fear that this has gripped, uh, you know, globally, that what is, what is this pandemic really going to equate to? I mean, how it's affected economic markets. I mean, and here we are in the midst of it. In the church world, one of the major historical denominations is on the verge of moving in two different directions simply because they cannot come to theological and cultural agreement on issues. And then personally, how many of you have had a very odd couple of months? I mean, whether it's been health, whether it's been weirdness in your finance, I mean, I, I, some young woman that my wife and I are discipling, within the first couple of days of the year, she said, well, here's my new year. I just got pink slip from my job. And she was in HR. I mean, and so this was how her year started. And as I've been pastoring and walking with people, they've, they've kind of started out with some similar weirdness. But I want to give some context to that, if you wish, prophetically this morning. And God took me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And let's look at this together if we could. Ecclesiastes 11 verses 4 through 6. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. And whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening, let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Let's pray. Lord, open our ears in these few moments that we have together today. God, we recognize that we have to be empowered by your spirit to hear well. Not just to receive information through natural process and cognition, but we have to be empowered by your spirit, one, to hear well, but secondly, to heed well. So Holy Ghost, come now, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, and whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. I believe God's bringing us into a unique, out-of-sync, out-of-season anointing. I mean, I've entitled this message accordingly that out is the new in. Out is the new in. Out-of-season, out-of-sync. But I believe that in this moment that there are going to be unusual opportunities 
that are initially presenting themselves as opposition that God intends to transform and translate into opportunities for your life and for the life of the church. But we've got to have different eyes to begin to see that. Do you realize that today, even with the fear around the coronavirus, let's just talk about that for a moment. There is nothing like a backdrop of fear to open up the heart of a man or a woman and to begin to bring them into what the true antidote for fear is. It's found in 1 John that the love of God cast out all what? Fear. What an opportunity in the midst of what appears to be opposition. And if we look, God wants to bring us into this. And I want to talk about this into three simple sections this morning. I want to talk about seasons, how we see, and then lastly, how we sow. First, I believe God is going to change and supersede spiritual seasons. We know in the book of Daniel that God changes times and seasons. We find over in the first Chronicles that there were men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And yet there are seasons that God, I believe, wants to suspend and supersede in this particular moment. Jesus rebuked those around him for not being able to properly discern the seasons. And understanding, not just looking with natural eyes, but beginning to see differently. I have some friends who are in the tech industry, communications industry, and they've been trying to help this old guy understand what 5G means. Now, all I know about 5G, it's going to cost me another thousand bucks for another iPhone. I mean, every time that I get an update... I mean, all of a sudden now I can't figure out how to do something that the morning that yesterday I could, but overnight, all of a sudden now, everything's changed. And yet 5G is the game changer, according to the guys that are in Verizon and Sprint that, I, that, that are in our church. Because they're saying that now this is going to be the advent, the internet of things is now finally going to come to us. And all of the challenges of speed and latency is all of that's going away. They're calling it a revolution, if you wish. Forbes, in an article about a month ago, said that our world is going to change more in the next 20 years than in the past 300. And they added this on the end of that statement, and it could be heaven or it could be hell. But one thing that we do know, both in the natural and in the spirit, Things are speeding up. And I believe that there is a contraction that's happening. That things now are going to be, begin to occur in the church, in the world, in our lives at a pace that previously we've not seen. And in that, there is a rate of both conception and gestation that's going to speed up. God's going to begin to, be, to bring birth into some areas whereby which it's been held back. In that, I believe God is going to open some wombs 
And I believe they're going to be spiritual wombs, but I believe naturally as well that have been closed in this particular season. But inasmuch as there's going to be new conception, there's going to be, if you wish, truncated gestation. Is it what ordinarily would take nine months is going to take six. What takes years is going to take months. We're going to find things happening much, much faster. Hmm. Days are coming, it says in the book of Amos, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. And new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And yet, in the midst of all of this, ordinary conditions are not going to present themselves. I want you to hear this. My grandson, my oldest grandson, Ethan, is one of these one of these kids that just has favor dripping off of his life. I mean, he's brilliant. He's, you know, one of these kids that's carted off to another school every day because he's in all these special classes, and I don't even understand it. But beyond just being a brilliant kid, of course, because he is a grandchild of mine. <laughs> Got it from his mama, obviously. But he just can walk into a store, and people would begin to give him things. I mean, if you want cookies, just hang out with Ethan because people are going to just give this kid thing. It's amazing to watch the favor on his life. So this past summer, we were vacationing on the coast of North Carolina. And we were staying in this cottage. It was across the street from the Sound. And I've been going down to the coast of North Carolina my entire life. My grandfather was a fisherman. My dad fished. I fished before I got married and had kids and, and uh, went into ministry and life happened. But, but I, I know what the conditions are on the coast for fishing. Generally, fish like to be caught when conditions are the most miserable for human beings to catch them, which means the winter time, standing in the surf up to your waist, turning blue. I mean, storms. I mean, and so this was June. This was the middle of of June. And so we walk across the street. My grandson's got his $12 rod and reel. You know, he just, he ready to go. And so we, we go out to this little pier and there's nothing. I mean, we might be in three feet of water. Tide was out. It was ridiculous. So his dad was just catching, you know, crabs and eels. It was disgusting. And so finally Ethan cast out and within seconds, bam, and I mean, it's like, oh, you know, you, you, got, you got hung up on something under the water. And I, I grab his rod and reel, and no, no, there was jaws on the other end of this thing. And he hauls this fish in, and there's this amazing about 18 to 20-inch red drum. Now, first of all, it's the wrong time of the year. They're not supposed to be there. We're fishing in three feet of water. He's doing this with a $12 rod and reel. It's not supposed to work this way. I mean, we're sitting there, and we're doing the happy fish dance, you know, and everybody's really happy, and he's like, but this is how it's supposed to work. This is what the kid understands. And so he does it again. He throws his, throws his line out, bam, catches another one. We do the happy fish dance again. He catches three fish like that within about a 10-minute period of time. 
Never seen anything like it in my entire lifetime. Let me just tell you. Now, this kid thinks this is what fishing is supposed to look like. So, you know, the joke's on him. <laughs> Never, but I'm going fishing with him from now on. Let me just tell you. But all the conditions were wrong for catching fish is what I'm trying to say. And yet in the midst of the wrong conditions, one of the greatest catches I've ever seen in that period of time happened in spite of those conditions. It's an amazing phenomenon. Luke chapter 5, the boys have fished all night. They know what they're doing. Sun's coming up. The fish are going deep. Jesus said, if you'll go back out there and throw the nets off the other side, you'll catch fish. And they say, you have got to be joking. Come on, man. We know what we're doing. We've been doing this all our life. He said, I'm just telling you. And they said, well, okay, but because you said so, we'll do it. And they had the catch of a lifetime in that particular moment. And there's an out-of-season timing and anointing that God's bringing us. Jesus walked up to this fig tree. Now, figs produce about two or three crops a year. Here's Jesus. He's made the, he's made the thing. He knows what it does. He knows that it produces three crops. He knows when it does it. And here's God walking up to the fig tree. He's hungry. There are no figs. And what does he do? He curses the tree. The tree that he had made and he had designed, knowing full well it wasn't the season for figs, and yet he cursed it. Does that passage of Scripture bother anybody but me? I'm thinking, man, the tree got a raw deal in this thing. But you see... There was an out-of-season anointing that because of the proximity of Jesus walking up to that tree, that tree was, the intent was it was going to violate how it was even made, the season in which it had found itself in order to bear unusual supernatural fruit. Let me just tell you, that same proximity to God you and I both have by means of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you and I. It's never enough anymore to say, hey, I'm out of season. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm having children. I'm in school. I'm broke. I'm stupid. Let me just tell you. <laughs> it doesn't work anymore because God is bringing us into an out-of-season anointing. And why is that? Ezekiel 47 talks about a river that flows from the temple all the way down. And it talks about some trees that are planted and watered by this river. And it says every month they bear what? Fruit. There's no tree on the planet that bears fruit 12 months a year. But because the river of God flows to these trees, these trees produce fruit 12 months a year. And yet Jesus said, out of you shall flow rivers of living water. Guess what? The same water that flowed to those trees on the banks of that river, that same river flows through your life and my life that we might produce spiritual fruit 12 months, year after year after year. Amen? And that's the anointing that God wants to bring us to. Things are speeding up. 
He wants us moving out of season. And in that, let me tell you, there's coming a promotion of folk. And pastor, listen to this well, that haven't been hanging around the church for 20 years. There are folk that are coming that are going to be ready to go. There's going to be an unusual flow and anointing that comes out of their lives. We're going to see young folk, and I'm not talking about just 20 or 25 years old. I'm talking about, at times, young in their walk with Christ that are going to be promoted at an exponential rate. You know, many times we hear, too young. Well, David maybe was 30 when he became king. Solomon, 20. Elisha was in his 20s when he started following Elisha, was probably early 30s when Elijah was taken up. Timothy was around 30 when Paul wrote to him, let no one look down on you because of your youth. And yet in Scripture, if you look at the original language, anybody under 40 was considered a youth. Jesus was considered a youth. Imagine at 30, 31, 32 years old, arguing with the theologians of the day, and they're thinking not just, is this the carpenter's son, but it's like, who is this young upstart? But there was such an anointing on his life that people had to say, wow. Let me just tell you, I believe that very same thing is going to begin to happen. And we're going to see unusual anointing begin to happen very, very quickly that's going to be out of season. It's not having gone to Bible school. It's not having gone through these classes, read these books. But there is a wisdom, an anointing from heaven that's going to mark. It's going to mark us in an unusual way. And let me say, on the other side of that, come on, old folk. Not many of you in here, but that's all right. Old folk, this, this is for you too. Abraham and Sarah, I'm too old for this foolishness. 80 years old, I don't want to be packing to go nowhere. 100 years old, can you imagine? At that age, it's a matter of can I get out of bed? Can you imagine? Who going to change this boy? Seriously, at 100. I mean, some of you think it's rough at 25. Imagine being 100 years old and getting up when he squeaks. Come on. Zechariah, Elizabeth, old. And on the other end of this, let me tell you, there are going to be new demands being put on that spectrum. Some... Months ago, I shared with some covenant brothers that I walked with. I said, guys, I said, I, I'm just, um, I think I'm about finished. I'm tired. And I'm just, I'm feeling like I need to sort of begin to kind of wind it down and begin to hand off and et cetera and so forth. And they listened. Jesus came to me a few months ago and he said, son, listen to me. He said, it's not for you to put down. It's only for you to pick up. In other words, get over yourself and find the second wind that God intends for you to have. And in that, there's going to be a new way that the generations relate to one another. 
that God's going to bring to the forefront. And not, okay, boomer. It's not what we're talking about. It's not a toleration of, there he goes again. But we're going to find a way that God is not just going to have one generation replacing another, but there's going to be such a merging and an interrelation and a respect between generations of something we've never seen before. We find this odd little story over in 2 Kings. Elisha's there with a group of his young disciples. And they met together in what were called schools of the prophets. There were, was one at Jericho, Gilgal. There was one at the Jordan that we know of. But this one's at Gilgal. It's a famine in the land and they're cooking soup. Now, I got to tell you, it's always at famine if you're cooking soup. And that's the best you got. Soup ain't food, by the way. We won't let you know. Okay. I mean, soup is what you do when you got nothing else. Or soup is what you do when you're fasting, all right? But soup is not food. And somebody says good soup, those words don't go together in the same sentence in my mind. All right. My wife asked me, do you want soup? And I'm like, do you want coronavirus? I mean, I'm sorry, just, no, I don't want soup. I want something fried, all right? (laughs) And so you know it's a grim moment because they're cooking soup. And they're trying to find something to dump into this pot. And one of these young prophets runs out and says he finds a wild vine. Now, I looked into this, and it was actually sort of a gourd squash-looking thing. But in that part of the world, there was one that was edible and another one that was toxic. But they looked a lot alike. And so he picks one, cuts it up, dumps it in the pot. They're all sitting there eating their soup. And the next thing you know their tongue begins to feel funny and their lips go numb and they realize there's death in this pot because this young prophet lacking the wisdom, lacking the discernment just went out and threw his gourd in the pot. Now this young prophet was doing what you want and you expect young folk to do. He's being proactive. I'm being helpful. Watch this. But the problem was he didn't have the discernment to really know what was edible and what was toxic. And he dumps it in that pot. And the next thing you know, the neurotoxin begins to kick in for this entire group. Fortunately, there was an old guy there. Now, he wasn't even that old. He was in his 30s. But he represented something. And he says, bring me some flour. And he throws some flour into that soup. And it makes it edible again. It deals with the toxic effects. But if Elisha had not been present, there would have been a bunch of dead prophets. And you see, this is a perfect picture of how we need the generations working and flowing together. Are you with me so far? The second thing I want to mention, I'll have to do this quickly for the sake of time, is God's going to make, get this, he's going to make this thing serious about truly being men and women who follow the Spirit. It's not going to become optional for us anymore. You know, sometimes we turn our GPS on just for kicks and giggles because we know where we're going. Have you ever argued with your GPS? I've got a very, very unhealthy relationship with Siri. I'm just telling you. She's telling me what to do, and I'm just arguing with her the whole time, you know. And a quarter mile, turn left. Woman, you crazy. I know how to get there. I've done this before. 
turn left. Then, then she starts, then she starts mouthing off, recalculating, recalculating. It's like, please. And the Holy Spirit, but she, the thing about Siri is that Siri sees something you don't see coming up in traffic. I mean, from the vantage point, from your windshield, it's just like everything looks good. And that was your last opportunity to avoid some very ugly traffic. Then the next thing you know, you're looking at taillights for the next 10 miles. And if you'd listened, you could have saved a whole lot of time. You realize the Holy Spirit's exactly the same way. That if we will listen to him, there is blessing, there is direction, not just revelation. But there's affirmation, there's direction, and he's going to get us serious about this thing. We find another story in 2 Kings of these three kings that come together in alignment. One was a righteous king, Jehoshaphat, the other two, not so much. But they come together to go collect some taxes. So they developed a military strategy of cutting through the desert, hoping to save some time and bring the element of surprise to the enemy. But the challenge with this was they might run out of water before they get to where they need to go, and that's exactly what happened. So they're in the desert. They're dying. And they finally call the prophet in. Elisha comes. He begins to prophesy. Now, these three kings had not consulted God at all before they came together in alliance. But once they, get, once they got jammed up, all of a sudden, is there no prophet of the Lord of which we can inquire? How many of us do the same thing? It's that we just plow off on our own plans, our own alliances, until we get jammed up. And all of a sudden, Jesus! But the prophet gives them a word. He said, you will see neither wind nor rain yet. This valley will be full of ditches about the time of the morning sacrifice. Now, in this part of the world, whenever there was going to be rain, you could see it coming from afar. The temperature changed because it came from the, from, from the, the same direction every time is where the clouds came from. And yet God is saying in this particular moment through the prophet, you're not going to get any natural encouragement whatsoever. But if you'll make preparation, I'm going to fill this valley full of water. Let me just ask you, what is the Holy Spirit telling you? And you have no natural indication, no encouragement in this moment whatsoever that it could possibly happen. And yet God is saying, if you will believe me and make preparation, I will fill your valleys full of water. And yet many times we don't get to see it with our natural eye. And God's going to get us real serious about being men and women of the Spirit. And then lastly, we find in the Ecclesiastes passage, it says, sow your seed in the morning. We find the story over in Genesis 26 of Isaac. And it says there was again a famine in the land. And God gave him a word, and he said, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you, stay in the land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. How many times do we see famine come to our life, and we think, I'm done, it's time to go, got to move. No more juice. No more juice in this city, in this job, on this campus. No more juice in this marriage. It's time for me to move on. 
And yet God says, if you will stay here, I'm going to do something in the midst of this land and this famine. And it says in that year, it says, Isaac sowed. Now, can you imagine going down to the feed store saying, I need seed. Really? For what? I'm going to plant a crop. You've lost your mind, son. Don't you realize that, the, that, that we're in a drought? There's a famine. Nobody's growing anything here because there's no water. He said, God told me. I've got a word from the Lord. And it says, he sowed. And it says, in that same year, it says, he reaped a hundredfold. A hundredfold. Now, I don't know a whole lot about farming, but that seems to be a pretty good return on investment. And it says, he became wealthy. Now, I cannot begin to tell you, and I'm sure that Pastor Paul can say the same things. How many times I've heard this passage preached to try to get into your wallet as an apologetic for wealth creation and wealth management. But you know what? I don't really believe that that's the real intent of this passage at all. I believe it's a man that was willing to ignore what the natural circumstances were around his life to hear from God and believe that God's word had priority over everything else that was going on. You'll see neither wind nor rain. There's a famine in the land, yes, but son, sow where you are. Watch what I do. And yet, we get in these moments, and what is human nature? We tend out of fear to do what? Hang on. We tend to store and hoard rather than sow, rather than begin continue to give ourselves away. I mean, once again, look around the land right now. Try to buy a face mask. I mean, folks are going nuts. I watched it in 1999 when the world was supposed to come to an end. Most of you don't remember that, but because of the whole zero and one thing with computer coding, I mean, the world was going to end. I mean, planes were going to fall out of the sky. Stoplights were going to stop. All the computers were going to quit. You weren't going to be able to get your money. I was pastoring at that time, and I watched folks in my church lose their minds. I mean, they're buying propane and storing water and buying spam and Twinkies, which you always need for the apocalypse, by the way, <laughs> because they'll both last forever. And I mean, they're storing food and coming to me, Pastor, we need to fill this building up with food and water so when the world, I said, who's going to decide who gets it? I'm not going to turn the city away when they knock at my door. I said, do you believe God or not? And sure enough, we woke up on January the 1st, 2000. No planes had fallen out of the sky. The zombie apocalypse hadn't been turned loose. Life just kept right on going. But folks began to store and hoard. Some folks are still eating that nasty food 20 years later. <laughs> what are we going to do with it? I don't know. Make soup out of it, I guess. Actually, we have a new thing now. They're called smoothies, but we won't even go there. That's just chunky soup as far as I'm concerned. All right. But the question is, are we going to look beyond this moment? And are we going to sow? Are we going to sow? And not just naturally. But Galatians says, he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh, but he who sows to the spirit of the spirit will reap everlasting life. Wow. 
Now, while that passage is, I believe, directly referring to sin, there's still a higher principle here. Because you can sow to the flesh, it's not necessarily sin, it's just convenience and comfort. Or you can sow to the Spirit, which many times is seemingly foolish, inconvenient, and cuts across your will. And God's saying, but there's life in that kind of sowing. Wow. Hosea 10, sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up for your unplowed ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. What have I said this morning? First of all, I believe God's bringing us into an out-of-season anointing. Let no one look down on you because of your youth. What you think you know or don't know, how prepared or ill-prepared you think you might are. Let me just tell you, God is going to use you out of season. Don't say, too busy, student, family, no longer. Because God's going to use you out of season. And it doesn't matter which end, which part of the calendar you're looking at. Whether it's younger or older, God is calling you up. And he's calling you out. He wants to make us men and women of the spirit. That when we say that we are spirit filled. It's not just a term of endearment or an ecclesiastical identifier. But it's a way that we do life. Moving beyond what we can see with our natural eyes. And seeing and peering into the spirit. And doing what God is telling us to do. And lastly, sowing. Sowing. What does that mean for you? It's not just financial. Every one of us are called to sow. We're called to sow into relationships. We're called to sow into those things of the kingdom. We're called to sow into eternal, not just temporal things, whereby which we can reap eternal rewards. Pray with me. Pastor Paul, join me up here. Lord, you said in the Bible, in the fullness of time, you sent your son. And I'm sure there were a lot of times prior to Jesus' appearance on the globe would would have been real convenient for him to have come. But God, there is a fullness of time. And often the fullness of time is not what we think it is. So, Lord, we want to acknowledge that we might be out of season, but God, in you, we're in season. We're in season. Lord, let us be men and women of the Spirit, not in name only, but function. God, we want to live not just by the instructions of your word, but by the power of it. And God, let us be men and women that sow generously. Our entire lives sowing into those things of which, God, that you said that you sent your son. God, there was no greater sowing than heaven could do than to send the most precious thing that God had in Jesus. So, God, even as you have sown in us, God, as an example of what sowing looks like, God, let us respond accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Can we give God a praise for the word? Of God. Wow.
I want to, um, as we close, just offer an opportunity, if we can bow your heads and close your eyes, for those here who have heard the word and have yet to really experience the countercultural walk that is Christianity, that of dying to live, getting low to be exalted. And you're here and you want to say, I want to accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior today. If that is you, we'd love to pray with and for you. Just raise your hand super high so we can pray with and for you this morning. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that's been preached. We thank you for the word that continues to nourish us spiritually. And we pray, Lord, that we would fully surrender our all that we would allow the word preached today to drop the 18 or so inches from our heads to our hearts and be applied in a way such that we are different, not because of self-effort, but because of the power of your Holy Spirit working in and through us. It's in your name we pray this prayer. Amen. Amen. I am not...